Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. Faith here with a welcome toast. It was Sam Green who said, Turkey takes so much time to chew. The only thing I ever give thanks for at Thanksgiving is that I've swallowed it. Please feel free to consume this show podcast in small bites or eat the whole thing. This show is an encore presentation of the Faith Middleton Fuchmoos. Hope you enjoy this second helping. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to eat, drink, and be merry with us. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi on the phone this time from Florida, Alex Province, and Mark Raymond. Uh, hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, hey. hey have, Chris. <laughs> we have a special guest, and that is Jane Green, who is, uh, you probably know as a best-selling author, her novels, I certainly have read them, but she's decided to do a cookbook. Jane lives with her blended family in Westport, Connecticut, and has done a cookbook called Good Taste. These are simple uh, recipes for family and friends, and they are comfort dishes, and they're just perfect for our Thanksgiving coverage. Wait till you hear as we talk about the flourless chocolate cake that you are going to want to make, a special trifle, an apple parsnip soup, all of it coming your way. Jane, welcome to the Fuchmoos Party. wonderful to be here. It's so great. Now, you hear this English voice on Jane, and and I just want to say that I was mentioning to Jane that when I was visiting the BBC in London, it was one of the most hilarious experiences because they had a gorgeous drinks cart, alcohol, scotch, bourbon, you know, everything. And they would wheel it from studio to studio for the interviews, and everyone was drinking. You know, it was the funniest (laughs) thing. And I was saying that in my 20s, I worked for a newspaper called The Daily Express in London, and we'd get to work at about 9.30, and you'd walk into the foyer of this wonderful building, and to the left, there was a bar, and the bar was always open, and the most frightening thing is there were people in it drinking <laughs> at 9 30 in the morning, 30 in the morning. It, i don't think it happens now but back in the day oh we had very long liquid lunches and would stagger back after them wow. well, years ago i was editor of connecticut magazine and i did have to deal with a couple of writers who were convinced that they were much more brilliant when they had had you know 10 12 beers and so there is there can be a thing in journalism about this that you're just at the top of your game which of course is not the case um anyway jane i can't wait to talk with you about this this is our thanksgiving special uh robin doyon aiken is with us the senior producer of the show and an amazing person can i just mention my new phone as we get that. into our Thanksgiving? <laughs> oh yeah um, jesse squatrito of south windsor connecticut who was on our trip to Italy, has sent this to me as a present, and it is an iPhone case. It's one of those clear plastic ones, and on the back, it is a wine glass, 
and the back of the case, and it is filled with a liquid red wine. <laughs> you can see it online at foodschmooze.org. <laughs> it's the most astonishing thing. And the liquid, you know, splashes in the glass as you move your phone. Swirl it around. It's one of the best things I've ever had. It's my best phone case ever. It's looking like a claret. I think that's what it is. In I there. think it is. Yeah. <laughs> what year? Yeah. yeah vintage. What vintage? Yeah. Chris, I can't wait for you to see this. I want one. I know. That's what I'm thinking. This is going to be my uh, holiday present to a million people. Okay. So, Jane, you said just before the show that you felt that people are, well, first of all, they're not cooking at home quite so much. There's a lot of prepared food. People are very busy. That's number one. Number two, your idea with this book was to go toward comfort food, mm. and that's very English. Yes, and I've lived here for 15 years, and I'm constantly amazed that the women I know don't cook. We're all mm. mothers, and many of us are working, but they still don't cook, whereas across the pond, everybody in England cooks. And I just... No matter how busy. Yeah, no matter how busy, we throw together dinner at the end of the day. And I really believe that one of the things that's happened over here is that we've all bought into this culture of perfectionism. And we're so scared of our homes not being perfect or our food not being perfect that rather than risk making people unhappy, we don't cook. Um, You're here. Mm. Yeah. But of course, the big secret to home cooking is that the food isn't really that important. It's not really about the food. And what do you think it's about? Sense of I, community, I, yeah? I think it's community, it's breaking bread, it's walking into someone's home and feeling instantly comfortable mm. and warm and cosy and mm. sitting down at the table and being fed the kind of foods that make you feel nurtured and safe and loved. It's really about that. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And I think yeah. that's a theme in your book. And, and I want to start with, there are many people who start Thanksgiving dinner with a soup. Oh, yeah. And my family's not among them. We start with ravioli made from scratch. Yum. It's a little unusual, <laughs> but... Um, this is, if you're looking for a soup, this is a wonderful choice. Chris, I know you and I love parsnips. Oh, yeah. So this is a curried parsnip and apple soup from Jane. And so I'll just cruise through. And, of course, all the recipes from her book I'm talking about are on our website, foodschmooze.org. Um, so a little butter, the parsnips that you just peel and cut up into chunks, the apple, same thing, a little celery, onion, some curry powder, ground cumin, ground coriander, a little bit of garlic. You could use chicken stock or vegetable stock, salt and pepper, of course, if you're allowed to have it. And uh, not too, too much heavy cream, but a little bit of it that gives it richness a bunch of chives that you chop up and sprinkle on the top, which means, I think, everything to this recipe really mm. makes it just perfect. Well, thank you. Um, you know, growing up in England, we love curries in England. And actually, there are mm. about 15 curries in this book, which I didn't realize until it was completely done. But I love curry, and I do think that curries make everything better. And I also, I don't like complicated food. I like things that are relatively simple. And all of those lovely root vegetables just blend into a really thick, creamy soup. And actually, the cream does add this lovely richness, but you don't even need the cream. And the other thing is, you if you don't have the carrots and celery, it will work just as well just with onions. I mean, it, it adds more depth. Mm. 
And, and think of it this way, because this serves six. So you have, Chris, you, you and I are always figuring this out, a quarter cup of heavy cream. Not very much. It's not very much. And if you're someone who has to use fat-free cream because of issues that you have, please do so. Or if you have to use milk or not use it at all, right, Jane? Or, yo- or yeah. even low-fat yogurt. Yeah. yeah. So, ah. so lovely, subtle, curried parsnip and apple soup from Jane Green's book, Good Taste at our website, foodschmooze.org. We didn't even say how simple this is to cook because a little bit of butter in the pan and then throwing in the the parsnips and the apples, the celery and the Mm. onions. The French would call this a kind of Uh, mirepoix. Yeah. Mm. Um, And they soften up a little bit. And then really you're just adding the stock and you're blending, and, and that is the soup. And the other thing to say, because, of course, when we do cook for people, everybody one's vegan and one's mm. one's gluten free and one's this and and the thing with these soups is you can substitute almond milk actually if you want to avoid dairy altogether. Ooh. Almond milk works very well too. Ooh, that'd be ah, interesting. Yeah. This is great, and I'm someone who loves to make a soup like this as the base for tossing in a little protein. So I would, if I'm on the way home and I grab a rotisserie chicken, I would shred it and might put it in or saute it in the beginning with things and add it. And then it's my dinner. Crab meat too. I also... um I think that life yeah. is better with bacon in it. Um, oh, yeah. So I, I might very well sprinkle Saute, some. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, saute some bacon. Home run there. Yeah, Absolutely. yeah. Hey, Jane, are we related? <laughs> <laughs> this is where the, the chicken comes down from the ceiling, you know. That's why Jane's on the show. We Can knew she, she be on every week? We know she'd yes. say bacon somewhere. It's like, it. we're, we're all bacon nuts on oh, the show. But so. yes, I could. It, it day's not complete, actually, without bacon, oh, I feel. Yeah. This is a kind of soup that would be fun to put in a thermos and go for a hike yeah. on a Saturday and oh, you know yeah. just bring it out of your backpack. True. It's, I can it, smell it from here. Well, it's yeah. a really comforting soup. That's the thing. And I, I think soup is the ultimate yeah. comfort food because it's very thick. Yeah. It's really, and it's just thick from the apples and mm. the parsnips. I mean, it just, it blends into this really creamy, thick, comforting, filling soup. Jane, can this be a make ahead? If, if you are serving this soup for a holiday meal. Can you do this as a make-ahead? In fact, I think it's better as a make-ahead because the spices will really... Yes, yeah. and, and they they will enrich the flavor overnight, even a couple of days. Yeah. I almost feel like you could almost use a ladle on ravioli. Speaking of ravioli, like sometimes we'll reduce something like this and then throw some pasta in, and it's almost like a you know, curried pasta with ravioli, like a gentle sauce. Chris, uh, you know how, uh, because Chris has a restaurant, Metro Beast in Simsbury, uh, you know, I forgot to say, Chris, why you're on the phone and in Florida. What are you doing there? Epcot International Food and Wine Festival. And how's it going? So far, so good. I just got here and there's a party for a thousand people I'm cooking for on Saturday and then a demo for a few hundred on Monday. What are you making? On Saturday, I'm making a Thai chicken salad. Mm. And mm. then on Monday, I'm making the Lexi bean salad. Remember the one I made, Lexi yeah. made for that party, my, my foster daughter. Yeah. And, and what's in that salad? The bean salad has five different kinds of canned beans, turkey pepperoni, Newman's own Caesar salad dressing, a pepper, a scallion, and 
I think that's it. Yeah, I think it was clean out. Wasn't that the clean out the refrigerator day that you two had? Yeah. Yeah. What can we make from what's in the refrigerator? And and she was the hit of that um, potluck party. And everyone worked so hard to make a recipe, and she just really opened five cans and mixed some stuff together. <laughs> yeah, thank, thanks Sometimes to your. Sometimes it can be that easy. Thanks to your advice, <laughs> yes. Um, so as you can hear, we're focusing on Jane Green. We are focusing on her book, Good Taste, because we saw three great recipes to add to our Thanksgiving kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can see the entire kit if you go to foodschmooze.org. There's a little search box at the top of the page, and all you do is type in the word Thanksgiving, and you will see all of our recipes. And even stuff from last year. All the great Every, stuff from years, last year. And the years year of yeah. stuff. And, so many good recipes. And there are classics. So we're going to get next to Jane's pumpkin gingerbread trifle, and then her flourless chocolate cake Mm. which is a gluten-free item so we're very excited about that and we're going to get to that in just a second but Jane I think you were going to say something else about the soup yeah the other thing about making it the day before most of the recipes in this book are recipes that should be made a little bit in advance because the other thing I think about entertaining is Nobody wants to be standing at a hot stove sautéing things last minute when your guests are there. And I really believe that when your friends or your family come together, you want everything to be done. If you Mm -hmm. can, if you possibly can. Yeah. And then you can have a good time, too, with them. And and, uh, even though the food is always a gift to your guests, it's it's nice to be with them because that's a wonderful thing for the host. Okay, so let's talk before we go to these uh, two desserty things for Thanksgiving. Can we talk Thanksgiving turkey for just a minute? You know how every year there's a thing, and it's a thing, sometimes it lasts two years, like the kale salad. (laughs) Here's, Here's what I am noticing this year. I think a lot of media people who are in food want to try to come up with something new every year and they settle on a thing like fashion yeah and maybe they've heard that people were a little bit uh exhausted from all that brining liquid brining Mm. the last couple years with turkey (laughs) so guess what the new thing is this year smoking dry brining Ooh, dry brining. Dry brining. Mm. And so we're going to talk about, really, it sounds very complicated. It's not so complicated huh. at all. It actually is a pretty wonderful thing to do. But it's like putting a lot of spices on your turkey and sticking it in the refrigerator for uh, a while. And so that it kind of, they, they soak into the meat because the meat is kind of oddly neutral on a turkey and so everybody's trying to give the turkey flavor Flavor. yeah you know so Mm -hmm. this is another way so here's what's going to happen we're going to take a break we're going to on the other side of this break tell you about thanks to chris's presence how to dry brine a turkey you know it's just some ideas of what spices you could use on your turkey and then we're going to get to Jane Green's pumpkin gingerbread trifle and Ooh. her flourless chocolate cake oh, yeah. with chestnut. It is a beautiful nut to put in this flourless cake, which is also gluten-free. The book is called Good Taste. These are simple and, we think, delicious recipes for family and friends. Comfort foods, do-ahead foods, for the most part, in this book. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to feed the hungry. They need us this year more than ever. 
We are online now with all the recipes in our Thanksgiving kit at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. to talk about the podcast because it is the way that everybody is listening now. Uh, sure, it's fun to be in the car and hear it as it's happening, but uh, so many people are getting the podcast, and then you can listen on your schedule, not just on our schedule. And we have a free podcast for you, which really is a copy of the show. <laughs> and we send it to you so you don't have to do anything. You just sign up for it once, and every week, this food schmooze comes to you. So we love it. And, of course, you have access to our, we think, delicious curated food, wine, events, cocktail recommendations. And we love talking with you, too. All of our recipes are up right now in our Thanksgiving kit. In the search box, just type in the word Thanksgiving at foodschmooze.org. Who am I with? My treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, who's on the phone in uh, Florida doing the Epcot Food and Wine event. And uh, he is chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, we have wine broker Alex Province of Hartford, wine broker Mark Raymond of Weathersfield, our senior producer Robin Doyon Aiken, and we want to say a special thanks to our volunteers on the show, Jason Black and Paula Pierce. We love our volunteers in public broadcasting. So for sure, thank thanks, you. guys. Thank yeah. you so so much for your work. Okay, my friends, here we go, Chris. Dry brining, you put a bunch of herbs and spices on a turkey, put it in a plastic bag, and shove it in the refrigerator to kind of dry out a little bit and let those flavors well, seep in. Salt is the main thing. So salt draws moisture out, right? Mm -hmm. So when you put salt on the turkey, it pulls the moisture out of the turkey. And then what happens when that reaches a certain point, the turkey naturally draws that moisture back in. And right. with it, it draws in that salt and spices and herb, whatever flavoring you added to it, because when the moisture hits it, it dissolves those spices in the salt, and it gets sucked right back into the turkey. So you're basically seasoning the inside of the meat. And you put these herbs and spices on the outside, under the skin, under if, you, the skin. if you want. You, can, you stick it inside the cavity of yeah. the bird, and then it gets pulled out of the refrigerator, and you pat it dry with some paper towels if there's any little moisture on top. Add maybe a little bit more of those spices and herbs. So you're not rinsing it off? 
No rinsing. No. No. It's not this big amount of work. Then into the oven it goes. And then there's the controversy about is it upside down? Is it right side up? You flip it every hour on the hour. Yeah. Or on the half hour. Do you use convection? Which is so easy with a 22 pound turkey to just flip it. Can I give you an English? trick. What we do with turkeys at Christmas often is we put rashes of bacon over the breast because it keeps it very moist and you've got all that wonderful bacon flavor infusing the turkey. Do you put it on top of the skin? On top of the skin Mm. on the breast and we just lay it at, you know, the turkey rashes touch over the entire breast. It's almost like using a cheesecloth. Yeah, it, it. that's exactly yeah. that's the cheesecloth soaked in butter. But this you've Except got the bacon's the better than bacon. cheesecloth. Yeah. yeah, what could be Who better? Wants to eat cheesecloth? Um, and it's actually really wonderful. Yeah. So last year, and you'll see this as part of our Thanksgiving kit, we did a similar thing with prosciutto. Oh yeah, where yeah. we covered the breast with prosciutto. It does the same thing. Mm. You know, the fat seeps in, the saltiness of the meat, and it gets crispy on the outside. Uh, it actually brines the turkey, right? Yes. The saltiness from the prosciutto and the bacon actually acts like a mini brine. That's a wonderful thing. And you use that kind of smoked hardwood bacon Yeah. when you do it? Absolutely, yeah. Because mm. you guys call our bacon like streaky bacon or something. Well, right? we Your bacon's have, slightly different. Our bacon, I don't really like English bacon, but I, I shouldn't really say that out loud. <laughs> English bacon is where well, you have a lot of meat okay. and then you have sort of flaccid fat at the bottom. And uh-huh. I do love American bacon. We call it streaky bacon, but we don't cook it nearly as crisply as you cook it over here. It's never so, very crisp in England. It's always a bit floppy. Well, we have yeah. a, a new member of our family, and he does his bacon in that floppy way. And we all stare at it in the, on Sunday morning. <laughs> yes, saying, my, hmm. my parents, you know, my kids go and stay with them in London, which they do from time to time. And my kids are always horrified when, when my father brings out the bacon and puts it in front of them and they look at it saying that, that we can't eat it that. looks like it's been boiled <laughs> yeah, Chris. It's, it's just like really it. seriously so who is my favorite lady remember from two fat ladies oh, uh, clarissa right. and she, uh on the motorcycles oh, yeah. in the side car. she would always say crispy bacon <laughs> i love that i forgot about that show yeah i love uh, that. wasn't that the best show she had a one of them had this amazing cookbook store in Notting Hill called Books for Cooks. Thousands and thousands of cookbooks. Mm. It was a a foodie's dream. (gasps) How wonderful is that? If you're young enough so that you have never seen Two Fat Ladies, you must look this up. You will find it on YouTube. You'll find it probably on Netflix. You'd be smoking cigarettes after after the episode. It was great, huh? Um, Chris, when you do your turkey at home, how do you do your turkey personally? The simpler, the better. I don't do much to it. I love the dry brining idea, but I don't know if it's I just never have time because you do have to do it a little bit ahead of time. I just lightly season salt, pepper, and then I use herbs like uh, sage and thyme, and I put stuff under the skin, whether it's sometimes bacon or butter. I do a pinch of curry powder, too, because Mm -hmm. I'm like Jane, and I just love a little bit of curry. And then in the cavity, I put apples and oranges and more sage, and then I just toss it in the oven. The key is cooking it to the right temperature, so 160, 165, and then letting it rest when it comes out, and you'll have a great turkey every time. And you'll see in our recipe kit... The Ina Garten technique, which we adore, this was from her Make Ahead book, 
where she is making the turkey ahead and then cutting up the turkey and putting the slices on platters and then using that very hot gravy over the whole thing to moisten it up again, yeah. to reheat it. Mm-hmm. And that's so how good. you make your turkey head. It is a bath of it, right? It is crazy so good. delicious. Mm. Crazy yeah. delicious. That's at foodschmooze.org. Yeah. Along with information about our guest, Jane Green's book, by the way, you heard us do the apple parsnip soup. Her book is called Good Taste. And we are going to do now this pumpkin gingerbread trifle which is really, in essence, a layered thing. And as your spoon crashes uh-huh. through those layers, it's heavenly. Okay, oh, so come on. I, I love the description of it as a layered thing. So this is actually my mother-in-law's recipe. And my mother-in-law is a wonderful cook. She, in fact, started the catering company with Martha Stewart all those years ago in Westport, Connecticut. Oh. Um, and she, most of her food is not the kind of food that I like because it's quite fine and fussy and French. Is she French. listening? No, <laughs> hopefully not. Um, but she is a wonderful cook. She is a wonderful cook. Her food. Soon after I met the man who is now my husband and we were very newly dating, so I really didn't know him very well. My mother-in-law had a dinner party and she invited us and she served this pumpkin gingerbread trifle so of course at the time I was pretending I had no appetite I was somebody who didn't eat I was being very ladylike and I took a tiny little taste but it was the most sublime thing I had ever tasted Mm. in my life my then new boyfriend and I got up to help clear the table and we took this wonderful crystal (laughs) bowl into the kitchen and we both looked at each other and he handed me a spoon uh-huh. and he picked up another one and the two of us just dived in. Which right, out oh, right out of the ball. Right out of the ball. And I knew then that this was true love. You said, yeah, I have yeah. to marry this <laughs> man. Yeah, this I is the man for me. Him. Um, the pumpkin gingerbread trifle, what's so wonderful about it is if you like pumpkin pie, this just takes it up 10 more notches mm, because yeah. it's whipped cream. You layer, and I put in crystallized ginger as well, which gives it a little tang. Gingerbread, and I do provide the recipe for gingerbread, but frankly, I think anyone who chooses to make gingerbread from scratch is entirely bonkers. <laughs> At this time of year, you can find amazing mixes everywhere, and it, this should be quite easy. Yeah. Um, find a really delicious gingerbread mix. Make the gingerbread. Mm-hmm. Um, so you ginger feel good was, about it. I yeah. like her. Yeah, so I'm, yeah. I'm all about ease. But then you make a pumpkin custard, and that's really the work, and you make this incredible custard that you cook in a in a bain-marie in an oven so you put it in a pot which you put in a bath of water and you put it in the oven to cook in the water which it cooks very gently and you just layer it in a glass bowl let me just jump in and say this when people hear the words bain-marie they start to say uh-oh uh-oh uh-oh, uh-oh, uh-oh. what are we talking about jane just mentioned it is just these dishes sitting in the pan in water Yes. And so what that water is doing is from the heat of the oven, in a way, poaching whatever's in those that single dish or in many dishes. So your dish is just sitting in a little water bath. That's all it is. So not to be afraid at all. And you say, here's we put some hot water in there about one inch lower than your dish and you're done. Yeah. This custard has a little half, well, it has quite a bit of half and half in it. Eggs and sugar and brown sugar and molasses, ground cinnamon, ground ginger, ground nutmeg, ground cloves, salt, and cans of pureed pumpkin. 
It's about one and a half cans of pureed pumpkin. Buy the gingerbread, so not to worry. And then it becomes a layering with a little whipped cream on the top. Jane has this wonderful thing of putting crystallized ginger on the last layer. And sometimes ginger snaps as well on the top. Makes it Christmassy Mm. almost. Yes, it is quite Christmassy. You know, I sort of do Christmas for Thanksgiving because Thanksgiving is relatively new to me. And yeah, (laughs) I feel the same way. You know, what would be a great gift is you start finding those beautiful glass bowls now and then you bring it as a hostess present where you make the trifle Mm. and you let them keep the container. Oh, that's lovely. Instead of worrying about trying to eat it and bringing it home, you let them know, no, you're keeping it. and And think about this for Thanksgiving or throughout the holiday season, bringing this layered thing to the table and people putting the the spoon in and... Oh, oh, yeah. I want to know how Jane doesn't eat all the custard before she ends up making it. Well, I... I think I I would just have a spoon, like two spoons, one for me, one for the tribe. It it is the most Moorish dish in the world. And actually, yesterday, I had an event for this cookbook and they cooked recipes from the book. There must have been 12 or 13 tables. Each table got a huge glass bowl with the pumpkin gingerbread trifle. Oh, so you had and this yesterday. I had this oh, yesterday. That's not fair. And you could hear everybody was going, ooh, because it's, it's <laughs> not only does it taste wonderful, it looks <laughs> so, it pretty. just looks it's amazing. Very and yeah. can this, this is a do ahead? You should do it a little bit ahead because you want the gingerbread to soak up some of mm. it, gets quite moist, like, uh, but not ahead, too far ahead. I would say make it in the morning. Uh-huh. No. So you could make the custard the day before easily and possibly even two days before oh, and make the gingerbread, but don't assemble it until the day. Yeah, that's totally the way to do it is make all the parts the morning if you're doing it on Thanksgiving. Just put it together and it's done. Yeah, and I love this idea of either going to the store and buying a gingerbread at a bakery mm-hmm. or getting a good box yeah. mix. I would just check the label to see if there's actually any ginger in it because sometimes <laughs> no in ginger. the supermarket, there's no ginger in it. I, and I think I even say in the recipe, you can add some grated fresh ginger it's to always the gingerbread a good idea. just to give it a little it's, bit of zest. It's always yeah. a good idea. One night, you know how you get the munchies around 11 o'clock at night? All the time. One of the, <laughs> one of the, one of the nights I had one of these things I got it in my head that I needed ginger snaps. And <laughs> I went down the aisle, 11 o'clock at night. It was like this so person the grocery by store. myself, <laughs> yeah, wandering the aisles, you know, probably had my pajama bottoms on. <laughs> and Big fluffy slippers. I started picking up the packages of ginger snaps, and I was horrified. There's no ginger in ginger snaps anymore. Couldn't believe it's it. It's artificial. I don't know yeah, what yeah. is in there, but there's no ginger. So I wonder what the security snaps. cameras thought seeing you go looking out these there packages. There she comes. Here she comes. <laughs> um, all right, we're going to get to our flourless chocolate chestnut truffle tort. A wonderful, wonderful thing. All you have to do to make it gluten-free is buy gluten-free chocolate. If you are into a flourless chocolate truffle cake, this is it. Also, this one has chestnut in it. The chestnut in jars in all the supermarkets right now. It's a seasonal thing. And then on the other mm-hmm. side of the break, I'd like to get to green beans because I've been searching for the ultimate green bean recipe. It's such a classic for people. Yeah. And I think we've got it. All and right. Jane Green, you are going to be interested in this oh, because I can't wait. there is 
bacon involved. Oh, okay? we love that So bacon. Jane Green, author of Good Taste, you know her as a novelist. She has 19 books. This is a book of her recipes, her cooking, called Good Taste. So here we go. Flourless chocolate chestnut truffle tort. Go for it, Jane. The thing that makes this cake so special actually are the chestnuts because it adds this incredible, this velvety richness, although it does work without them so you don't have to panic. But what you do with the chestnuts is you simmer them in a cup of half and half um, mm-hmm. and then you blend them so it becomes a chestnut a paste. paste. Yes, mm. exactly. And I love flourless cakes yeah I I actually am not really a cake person I don't like cake but I love cake that's very moist I like cake that's almost like Like a a mousse or or yes Mm. and I find so many people now are gluten intolerant with my desserts if I'm not sure what people are eating I will I will make something gluten free so this flourless chocolate chestnut truffle tort recipe is on our website right now foodschmooze.org we're going to tell you how to make this cake on the other side of the break I want to talk also about this very special green bean recipe from Reed Drummond oh boy you're going to mm-hmm. like this we love the local please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week and to find terrific food, wine, cocktail, restaurant, hot topics, short fun streaming videos, and recipes we feature, we're always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. Stay with us. is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. And to hear the show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3 and Saturdays at noon. Podcasts and our curated recommendations, recipes are always online foodschmooze.org. If you type in the word Thanksgiving in the search box, guess what you're going to find? Millions of recipes. Okay, here we go. Wanted to let you know that there is a bowl-a-thon. The Creative Arts Workshop in New Haven has done this. But guess what? It's a benefit for the Community Soup Kitchen in New Haven. 
People from the community come together for soup and freshly baked bread. The bowls are all donated by the Studio Potters at Creative Arts Workshop. And all the restaurants around the area donate the soup and the bread. The suggested donation is about $20. And this is all part of something called the Empty Bowls Project, where a potter, Margie Haggerty, had this idea as a fundraiser. It's been going on for 20 years, and that enables the community soup kitchen to keep offering lunch four days a week, breakfast at their satellite sites. They have served, they estimate the soup kitchen, 1.8 million meals. So wow. trust us when we say be as generous as you can to your community soup kitchens in charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. You can check it all out at the Creative Arts Workshop site in New Haven. So let's go to Jane Green from her cookbook, Good Taste. She is from Westport, Connecticut, in the studio with us. And this is her favorite chocolate dessert of all time. It is uh, like, a, as she says, a giant slice of chocolate truffle heaven. Mm. Uh, there are chestnuts in here you buy in jars in almost any supermarket this time of year. You don't really taste them. You know, they're kind of neutral, but they add this richness. The cake is flourless, of course. Semi-sweet chocolate chips, butter, the chestnuts that you cook in the cream, meaning half and half, eggs that you separate, the white and the yolk, and sugar and vanilla extract. Yeah. And not actually that much sugar even. It's a cup of sugar, which sounds like a lot, but I make it in an 11-inch cake pan, so you're, you're not actually getting a lot of sugar. The trick with this recipe is the same trick that you use for every cake, which is you want to cream the egg yolks and the sugar, and you know whether it's butter and sugar or egg yolks and sugar, but with eggs and, and sugar, you want to cream it until they're pale, because the paler it is, the longer you cream it for, and I would say around well, five for minutes. For people who don't bake, what is creaming mean? So you whisk them together. So you separate the eggs and you take your six egg yolks and you add your cup of sugar into a bowl and you have a whisk, which you really need an electric whisk for this. And you will whisk them together for around five minutes. And what will happen is those yolks, which I have chickens, so my yolks are very dark, that lovely dark rich orange. Yeah, Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, saffron. Yeah, those yolks will become this pale lemony colour after about five minutes. The paler the colour, the lighter your cake is going to be. It's a Hmm. really crucial part of any kind of cake making. Hmm. And can you, when this comes out of the oven, can you kind of just fall forward so that your face just (laughs) hits the cake? (laughs) Breaks your fall. Uh, Because it's so utterly fabulous. So you're going to melt chocolate and butter together over gentle heat. Yes, or you can, I mean, I, I cheat in the microwave, but you have to be very careful with chocolate in a microwave because it yeah. can burn very easily. So yeah. I do it at 30 second increments. And actually, often what happens is the butter will melt first. And then if you take a rubber spatula and just Fold stir, you just the chocolate will melt into the butter. Yes, yes. And then you heat the chestnuts with the milk until it's just boiling, and then they soften up, and you just mash them. That's right. You just Yum. mash them. Okay. Yeah. Yum. And then, um, <laughs> and then you mix the chestnuts and the chocolate mixtures together. Yeah. And you then take your egg whites, and you whisk the egg whites until they're stiff. You fold them together. They go in a cake pan, greased, parchment paper on the bottom, 
and into the oven. It's around 25 minutes, but every oven is different. And actually, you never want to overcook anything that has an egg white base, because if it cooks too long or the heat is too extreme, the proteins in it will shrink away from the pan and you'll get big cracks. Mm. Although actually, it doesn't affect the taste. It doesn't really matter. And if you sprinkle chocolate shavings over the top, no one will care. (laughs) And and when it's done, it has a little wobble. It does. It's very tempting to pull it out and think, it's not done because it looks as if it's a bit wobbly in the center. But actually, as it sets, that will firm up and give it this lovely moussey texture. So you let it sit to cool a bit. Yeah. So delicious. You see what I mean about falling forward into the cake pan? (laughs) Yeah, can Chris come back now and make this for us? With the mouth wide open when you fall forward. (laughs) Don't you, Chris? You know, Chris and I don't bake. But I'm telling I you, that do I, I think... don't bake. I actually don't consider myself a baker because baking is truly a science. And I went to culinary school, but yeah. the baking was not that interesting to me because it's too precise. Mm. All of these recipes are for non-bakers like mm. me. Aha, <laughs> uh-huh. mm-hmm. very good. Yeah. And this recipe is on our website, mm-hmm. foodschmooze.org, yeah. including information about Jane Green's cookbook, where this recipe also appears. It's called Good Taste. Mm-hmm. Speaking of taste, there is an event called The Big Taste. Both business professionals and people who love food take part in this. It is sponsored by the Greater New Haven Chamber of Commerce and the Quinnipiac Chamber of Commerce at the Toyota Oakdale Theater in Wallingford. And you will see all kinds of food people there, uh, sampling, you'll see things being cooked. You can contact the Greater New Haven Chamber of Commerce for information about the big taste. Let's go to the subject of green beans, okay, and how everybody does them. I have a recipe that I think is pretty terrific, and we've got it as part of the recipe kit. It's adapted based on a recipe from Ree Drummond. I just made it a little simpler. Mm -hmm. And Alex, you have one from your mother-in-law. This is Matt's mom. Yeah, so Matt's mom makes the best green beans. She's an avid gardener, really good. Uh, every time we show up, she's does what you do, Mark. She has uh, raised beds. And, yeah, you yeah. Know, and she will just take them and she snitzels them. <laughs> that means she cuts them at a diagonal. I don't know why. She's from Wisconsin. And then she steams them for 10 or 20 minutes, which seems a little bit long, but trust me, they come out like squeaky good. Uh, and she does uh, butter... When I've been there, I've seen her use like bacon bits, actually, which I've never had <laughs> forever. But in her recipe, she says she uses real bacon, so she's listening. She's gonna kill me. But um, and 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 they there's something about like a fresh green bean that like when you bite it, it just ma- it squeaks in your mouth. So such a simple recipe. I'm embarrassed, but her green beans are to no, die for. So so good. That sounds great. Uh, Mark, what do you do with green beans besides well, eat them straight out of the garden? Yeah, we cook them in all different ways. But one of the cool recipes we uh, kind of put a twist on this year is uh, we took some of the grape tomatoes that we had from the garden and we sliced them in half, sauteed them in a little butter and garlic, and then took them aside. And then we steamed the the green beans. It seems a little complicated, but it's not. Steamed the green beans for about five, ten minutes, and then laid them on a sheet pan, spread some feta over the top, and then put the cherry tomatoes, grape tomatoes back over the top, and put them in the oven just for a little bit, maybe like three, four minutes. And then pull them out, and oh my goodness, so, wow. so good. That's like green bean lasagna right there. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, is, that is really something. It's a really nice side dish. Wow, and I know Chris does something really quite traditional 
Um, so, Chris, I want to get to you in just a second. I think these green beans are, are so fantastic. And I give credit to Reed Drummond because I just simplified a little bit. And all, what we're talking about is a little bacon grease in your fry pan, yeah. the fresh green beans, some chopped onions, and minced garlic. And you saute that a couple minutes until the onions and the garlic yeah. are, are cooked just a bit. And then you pour in chicken broth. Mm. And you put the lid, stovetop, you know, you put the lid a little bit off center so that the steam escapes. And what you want is for the chicken broth to cook and disappear until the pan is almost dry. And after the beans and the mixture have absorbed that chicken broth, they start to crisp up at the bottom of the pan. And so what you've got is this crispy, you know, mushy, wonderful, flavorful green bean. It's almost bacon essence. With bacon essence from the bacon. When we roast a chicken, I use a a saute pan that goes into the oven. I'll put green beans around the roasting chicken. It's the same sort of idea, right? Chicken fat, in other words, poaching. And it becomes, you know, they're overcooked by the time they're done, but they're so good. Oh, yeah, that sounds good. They're not overcooked. They're great when they're like that. (laughs) Yeah. It's like the Chinese restaurant, you know, dry green beans that are that are kind of crispy when they come to the table, but really thoroughly overcooked. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's the quality that because the inverse is well, Matt will blanch green beans like Eric Overy could get like a little bag of them, and they're they're cute. He steams them for two minutes, blanches them, and then puts them in a saute pan with with fat and salt and pepper, and they're sort of like more al dente and the opposite of these uh-huh. other green beans. <laughs> Good too. So anyway, we've got recipes for green beans up at our, our site, <laughs> foodschmooze.org. We're going to get to Chris in one second. Mark? So I was in the grocery line the other day, and there was this guy, and he had two cans of the mushroom soup and the crunchy onions and he didn't have any green beans with him and i looked at him and i said i knew exactly what you're making today he's like well not today but this weekend absolutely (laughs) so chris that's a perfect setup for you Mm -hmm. i made a like a revamped version of it of the green bean casserole with green beans i took some milk some salt and some onion powder with a little bit of white pepper and Mm. i thickened it with cornstarch and then I mixed in gorgonzola cheese, mm. reserving a little bit for the top later. And then I threw in the green beans. I put it in a casserole dish, and then I topped it with the uh, gorgonzola cheese and baked it in the oven. Oh, that's that, good. Was, that was a really good green bean casserole. But I think the best green bean recipe I've had to date is Linda Juca's green bean and potato salad because it only has like a few ingredients. But it's potatoes, green beans, a little bit of garlic, a little oil, chopped mint, and a teeny bit of salt, and that's it. The best green bean recipe I've ever had. Wow. Can't imagine that people would do potato salad for Thanksgiving. Would they? No. Uh, no. I don't think so. I'd eat it. I'd eat it for Thanksgiving. (laughs) If someone had it, I'd try it. (laughs) I'd put it on the side of the the turkey sandwich. (laughs) (laughs) That's right, for the second course. Oh, boy. And Faith, you do have that second course that same night, don't you? We do. We Outcomes after the Um. Italian Thanksgiving outcomes. That's all cleared away. And then outcomes the 
turkey with the Italian stuffing, and yeah. on and on it goes. Anybody doing anything different with stuffing this year, or oh. is it tra- traditional? Me. Oh, that me. would be Jane Green. That would be oh, me. let's hear it. Again, back to the gluten. I don't do bread stuffings. So I do a more traditional English Christmas stuffing, which is uh, pork, sausage meat, oh, yeah. uh, apple, chestnut, and sage. Oh. That's my stuffing. What absorbs the, the flavor? The chestnut. And it all holds together. You don't need yeah. any. How do you cook it, Jane? In, in, a, a, in a roasting pan in the oven. Can you remember how it comes together? I'm going to have to check my recipe, but there's onion in it, um, and you blend the chestnuts, and you grate the carrots, and you I use my hands for everything, and you just you know mix it all yeah. together, yeah. season it, chop the sage. I may add eggs. Mm. Um, it just uh, goes in. There's in, the yeah, binder the egg, right yes, there. Yes, the, I think hey, the eggs are hey, the binder. Jane, you could probably replace almost any stuffing recipe, replace the bread with chestnuts. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Right? And they would act kind of like that. Yeah. And throw in an egg and you have the binder and you'd have a gluten-free stuffing yeah. and use your own stuffing recipe just using the chestnuts. Yeah. What about a little rice or wild rice or something like that just well, to sort of... Would you add Bell's seasoning to give it that traditional flavor? I don't love prepared seasonings. I'd rather keep it simple and mm. I'd rather know what goes in it. So I... I would rather add dried sage, actually. Yeah. And, yeah. and you've already got the onions. And, and in fact, the chestnut and the apple, the flavors are all really lovely with the sausage meat. Yeah. I'm not sure that it needs anything Yeah, and there's anything a, always a good than... amount of spice in sausage already. So. Yeah. yeah. I think that there are certain things that uh, we associate with childhood and the yeah. tradition of Thanksgiving yeah. and the yep. bells is one of them. Yeah. So, um, I'm, you... I'm with you, Faith, on that. I'm okay. always trying to recreate my parents' as Thanksgiving. That's the whole yeah. well, I, I will say we yeah. do. I have succumbed to the sweet potato with the marshmallows. My children insist every year. We grew up eating it. It's yeah. part of our tradition. Yeah. American so classic. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The jello mold. Oh. Yeah. Waldorf like, salad. Yeah. Yeah. Dessert in the middle of the meal, oh. right? Yeah. Jane Green, thank you so much for for being on the show oh, and for this book and for giving us you know three of I think your best recipes you're going to see maple pork chops in here these special ribs that Jane has done in here really mm. good recipes Jane Green Good Taste is the name of her cookbook it's all online with all of our Thanksgiving and holiday recipes at foodschmooze.org We're on WNPR Thursdays at 3, Saturdays at noon, weekdays. Listen for my 60-second food schmoozes. Never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast on your schedule. And when you need a little more party in your life, we're here online at foodschmooze.org. And we hope you'll talk with us on Facebook. We're at Faith Middleton Foodschmooze.